Welcome to My Favorite Theorem, a podcast about math and so much more. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah. So how are you, Kevin? I'm fine. It's it's stay-at-home time. Uh, you know, my, my wife and son are here, and we're sheltered against uh, the coronavirus, and we've not really had any fights or anything. It's It's been okay. We're yeah, pretty, that's we're, great. Yeah, we're pretty good at ignoring each other. I mean, you know, so that, that's pretty. How about you guys? Yeah, essential skill. Oh, things yeah. are good. I was just texting with a friend today about um, how to do an Easter egg hunt for a cat. So I think everyone is staying, you know, really mentally alert right now. Yeah. She's thinking about putting bonito flakes in the little eggs and, and putting them out in the yard. That's a brilliant so, idea. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, we were walking the dog earlier and I was just sort of lamenting how I, I just sort of feel like I'm drifting and not doing anything. But then, you know, I've, I've cooked a lot and I've... Um, you know, I'm, I'm still working. It's just sort of weird. You know, it's just very. Yeah, time you know. has no meaning. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's been March for weeks at least. <laughs> I saw something on Twitter. Somebody said, uh, "At least tomorrow is, or how is tomorrow finally March thirty thousandth?" You know? Yeah, because <laughs> that's exactly what it feels like. Oh, anyway, today we are pleased to welcome Susan D'Agostino to our show. Susan, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Great fan of your show. Um, so yeah, I'm Susan D'Agostino. I'm, I'm a writer and a mathematician. Uh, I have a forthcoming book, How to Free Your Inner Mathematician, which is coming out from Oxford University Press. Actually, it was just released in the UK last week, and the US release will be in late May. Mm. Um, and otherwise, I, I write for uh, publications like Quanta and Scientific American, uh, Financial Times and others. And um, I'm currently working on an MA in science writing at Johns Hopkins University. Yeah, that's very cool. In fact, I pre-ordered your book. I, I remember oh, back, thank you. <laughs> uh, during the joint meetings, I think you, you tweeted out a, uh, a discount code. So I took advantage of that. So, yes. And yeah. actually, that discount code is still in effect and it's on my website, which I'll mention later. Sure. So. Okay. Very <laughs> Great. Cool. Very yeah, cool. it, yeah. So you said you're at Hopkins, but uh, you actually live in New Hampshire. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I'm just pursuing the program part time and it's a low residency program. So I'm, you know, full time writer <laughs> and then just one class a semester just because it creates community. And, um, you know, it's a great way to meet other mathematicians and scientists who are interested in writing for, you know, about the subject for the general public. Mm -hmm. Nice. I uh, got to I went to Maine for the first time uh, when I was uh, living in Providence last semester and drove through New Hampshire, which I don't think is actually my first time in New Hampshire, but might have been. And we did stop at one of the uh, liquor stores there <laughs> off the highway, which seems like a big thing in New Hampshire because I guess they don't have sales tax. Um, no sales tax, no income tax, live free or die. Mm. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you so probably we... passed right around where I live because I live, eight, New Hampshire has a very short seacoast uh, about mm -hmm. 18 miles mm -hmm. depending oh, yeah. so on we, how you measure it so and i live right that. on the seacoast yeah oh wonderful right. yeah. yeah well this the seacoast is very beautiful up there i love it absolutely love it i'm feeling very lucky because uh, there's lots of room to go outside these days mm -hmm. and so yeah. yeah just taking walks every day yeah beautiful wonderful part of the world. so you used to be a, a math professor correct yes yeah? yes just decided that wasn't for you anymore or just yeah well you know Life is short. There's a lot to do. That's <laughs> so, true. Um, true. And yeah. I, I love teaching. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I had tenure and everything, and um, I did it for a decade. And then I thought, you know what? If I 
don't uh, write the books I have in mind um, soon, then maybe they won't get done. So, you know, I've got my first one out already, um, only two years into this uh, pivot, career pivot to writing and mm -hmm. I'm working on my next one. And um, I, I always had in mind, um, in fact, I have, I have a PhD, but I also have an MFA. So I have a terminal degrees, both in math and writing. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I always had one foot in the math world and one foot in the mm -hmm. writing world. And I realized I didn't want to only live in one. So this is my, uh, you know, effort to live fully in both worlds. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. Nice. Good, so, good so the big question we have now, of course, is yeah. what is your favorite theorem? Right. Okay, great. So my favorite theorem is the Jordan curve theorem. Um, nice. Yeah, which it's, it's a statement about simple closed curves mm -hmm. in a, a 2D 2D space. So before I talk about what the Jordan curve theorem is, let's just make sure we're abundantly clear about what a simple closed curve is. Yes. Yeah. So a curve, um, you know, you can think about it as, um, you know, just a line you might draw on a piece of paper. It could be, um, you know, it has a start point, it has an end point, um, you know, it could be straight, it could be bent, it could be wiggly, it could intersect itself or not. Um, you know, this, the starting point and the end point may be different or, or not. Um, and because this is audio, I thought maybe we could think about um, capital letters in a very simple font like Helvetica or Arial. So mm -hmm. for example, the letter O, the capital letter O is a, uh, is a curve. Um, you know, it, 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 when you draw it, it has a start point and an end point that are the same. The capital letter C is also a curve. That one has a different starting and end point, but that's okay. Satisfies our definition. Um, capital letter P also, um, you know, that one intersects itself in the middle, but, um, you know, still it's a curve. Okay, so a simple curve is a curve that doesn't intersect itself along the way. It might, it may or may not have the same starting and end point, mm -hmm. but um, it won't intersect itself along the way. So the letters O, capital letter O and capital letter C are both simple. But for example, the letter, capital letter B is not simple because if you were to start at the bottom, go up in a vertical line, draw that first upper loop, and then the second upper loop between the first and second upper bubbles of the B, you will hit that vertical line, the initial vertical line that you drew. So it's not simple because it touches itself along the way. Um, and a closed curve is a curve that starts and ends at the same point. So the letter O is closed, but the letter C is not because that one, you know, starts in one place, ends in another. Right. Okay, so moving forward as we talk about the Jordan curve theorem, let's just keep in mind some really, you know, two great examples of uh, simple closed curves are the letter O and even the capital letter D. Mm -hmm. It's fine that that D has some angles, you know, an angle in the bottom right and uh, I'm sorry, the bottom left <laughs> and the yeah. upper left. Um, so, so corners are fine, but um, we just start, needs to start and end in the same place. Doesn't intersect itself other than um, where it starts and ends. Okay, so the Jordan curve theorem tells us that every simple closed curve in the plane separates the plane into an inside and an outside. So a plane you might just think of as a piece of paper. You know, mm -hmm. eight, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Let's draw the letter O on it. And um, when you draw that letter O, you are separating that piece of paper, the surface, 
into a region that you might call inside the letter O mm -hmm. and another region that you might call outside the letter O. And the second part of the Jordan curve theorem tells you that the boundary between this inside and that outside formed by this letter O um, is actually the curve itself. So mm -hmm. if you're standing inside the O and you want to get to the outside of the O, you've got to cross that letter O, which is the curve. Okay, so it doesn't sound too profound. <laughs> right? It's obvious. It's just completely right, obvious. Any of us who but, are, are big doodlers, and like yeah. I, you know, when I was a kid, I was always like at, at church, I, like doodling inside the letters in the church bulletin, or, you know, it, it, that's the thing. I know that there's an inside and an outside to the letter O. <laughs> you do, yes. And you could ask your kid brother, kid sister, whoever, you know, um, anyone. You probably didn't need a big mathematical theorem to assure you of this uh, somewhat obvious statement when it comes to the letter O. Okay, so um, I do want to tell you why I think it's really interesting beyond this fact that it, yeah. it, seems, it seems obvious. Um, but before I do, I just want to make two quick notes. And one is that you really do need the simple part and you really do need the closed part mm -hmm. of the theorem. Because, for example, if you think about a non-closed curve like the letter C and you're standing on the piece of paper around that letter C, maybe even inside, what, what, you know, mm -hmm. maybe like where the C is surrounding you, um, there, you know, it actually doesn't separate the piece of paper yeah. into an sure. inside and an right. outside. And then you also need the, um, you know, the non-simple part because, um, the, you know, if you think about the letter P, which is not simple because uh, it intersects itself. Um, if you think about the segment of the P that's not the loop, so the vertical bottom part mm -hmm. of that P, that is part of the curve the letter P, and um, that part piece of the curve doesn't separate. So even though that P seems to have a little bit of a bubble up there mm -hmm. <laughs> in the, you know, the loop of the P, the bottom part of the P is a boundary. Well, it, it's part of the curve, and it's not the boundary between the inside, what you mm -hmm. might consider the inside of the P and the outside of the P. So you really do need the simple part uh, um, and the closed part. Right, right. Okay, so... The reason I think it's interesting, in spite of the fact that it seems obvious, is because it actually isn't very obvious. And it's not obvious when you talk about what mathematicians love to call pathological curves. Yeah, okay. No, I, I know. I know the theorem. I, mean, I just wanted to shrug my shoulders and say, oh, look, it's just a special case of Alexander duality, right? And so surely it works. But um, yeah, okay. Another curve you might think about is the, the Cox snowflake. Mm -hmm. So one way of thinking about the Cox snowflake is, um, again, I'm going to wave my hands a little bit here because, you know, we're on audio and I, I can't draw you a picture. But if you think about the outline of a snowflake, um, and there's a prescribed way to draw the Cox mm -hmm. snowflake, but I'm going to simplify it a little bit. Imagine the outline of a snowflake. So not the inside or the outside of the snowflake, just the outline of it. And on a Cox snowflake, you know, that snowflake is going to have jagged edges, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to zig and zag as it goes along the outline of the snowflake. The cock snowflake actually has an infinitely jagged curve, mm -hmm. line, to draw it. So it's not that it has 1,000 zigs and zags or 
one million or even one billion, mm -hmm. it has an infinite number of zigs and zags going back and forth. So, you know, it's a little bit easier to imagine the, what could loosely be defined as the inside of the cock snowflake and the outside of the cock snowflake when you mm -hmm. imagine one being drawn on a piece of paper, you know, like right in the heart of <laughs> you know, the very dead center of that cock snowflake. You could probably feel pretty confident saying, hey, I'm inside the cock snowflake. And then far outside, you could be confident saying, I'm outside of the snowflake. But if you think about yourself right up against the edge of this cock snowflake, and imagine, put yourself right there, then as you think about this boundary of the cock snowflake, the boundary is supposed to be what separates the inside from the outside. But if you're right up close to that boundary and in the process of you know, drawing an infinite number of constru constructions to get the ultimate cock snowflake, you continue zigging and zagging, you add more zigs and zags every time, then even in the steps that it takes you to get to your drawing of this cock snowflake, you, at some point it might seem like, hey, I'm inside. Oh, wait, now they zigged and zagged. Now I'm outside. Oh, wait, they zigged and zagged some more. Now I'm inside again. You know? mm -hmm. So it seems like even in the, the finite steps that you need to take to draw that cock snowflake to imagine what the, it is in its, you know, the, the, in, in its infinite world, um, it seems like that boundary is not really clear. Mm -hmm. So again, an, another place where, you know, it makes you stop and say, wait a minute, maybe the Jordan curve theorem is not as obvious mm -hmm. as it first looked. Right. Why do you love this theorem so much? <laughs> yeah, so I love it. It actually, it kind of goes along with your question of, you know, what do you pair it well with? So maybe yeah. I'll just jump ahead to sure, there. Sure, let's sure. do that, yeah. So, <laughs> um, because even in, in my book, in, in the chapter that, in which I discuss the Jordan Curve Theorem, um, I actually paired it with a poem. Okay. And the poem is by uh, a New Hampshire native, Robert Frost, mm -hmm. um, who actually went to Dartmouth, which was where I got my doctorate. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite poems by Frost is called The Road Not Taken. Right. And, you know, at the beginning of the poem, He's standing in front of this fork in the road, essentially. And he's looking at both options of, you know, realizing, okay, I've got to go left or I've got to go right. Um, you know, he starts off, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. So he's, he's standing here and he's saying, well, which path should I take? And he notices one that he calls, you know, was grassy and wanted wear and, um, you know, that, um, you know, had no leaves. Uh, what, was, what was the line? In leaves, no step, had trodden back. And he ultimately comes to the conclusion that he's going to take the path less traveled. Um, you know, at the very end of the poem, he says, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And it strikes me that what Frost is telling us and what the Jordan Curve Theorem is telling us is that take the paths that are more unusual, that, don't, that people 
you know, that aren't well-trodden, <laughs> that people don't always look at first, that aren't as obvious or as, you know, paved for us. Um, you know, maybe it's a path that's going to make you question whether you're inside or outside, yeah. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> it's going to have like what feels like, you know, this amorphous boundary that, you know, you can't quite put your finger on. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, it reminds me that, um, you know, sometimes making a non-traditional choice in life um, or looking at pathological objects in math mm -hmm. is actually something very engaging to do and, um, you know, can, can make a life a little bit more interesting. So, and, and I, you know, when I first heard about this theorem, it was, you know, I had the same reaction that most everybody else does. Like, okay, so if I draw, <laughs> you know, because we, you know, we all draw a curve, you know, you say a curve and you think, oh, I can just draw a curve. I'm just going to do a squiggle on a piece of paper. And as long as I make it simple and closed, then it's, you know, it might be the letter O or it might be some like blob, you know, mm -hmm. that doesn't intersect, but at least starts and ends where, you know, it, it ends where it started. You know, it, I remember thinking like, wait, like, why does this theorem get its own name? You know, like, why right. is this just lemma, you know, 113.7, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, like, leading up to some other yeah. big theorem, right? right? Clearly. Like, why did it yeah. get its own name? Right. And um, I remember asking, and a lot of people at first were, they, they, everybody was happy to recite the theorem and, and say what it was and, you know, laugh at how obvious it was. Mm -hmm. But then later... You know, so I kept searching and searching, and then you know, finally, I, I ended up discovering that in fact it wasn't as obvious, and that but in order to appreciate it, you know how it's not that obvious, you needed to look at the more you know the road the paths not taken the mm -hmm. you know the the less the more unusual lines yeah. and curves. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So this is a theorem that. Of course, I, I feel like I've known for a long time, not just in the it's obvious sense, but in the sense that like, oh, it's been stated in classes that I took and feel entirely unconfident about knowing anything about its proof, um, at least in, in the general case. Mm. Uh, it, like, I feel like the, the difference between how much I have used it and relied on it and what I actually understand of how to prove it is very large. Yeah, no, and I, I honestly, I can say the same thing. Topology, I'm a, I, my background is in coding theory, mm -hmm. definitely not topology. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, honestly, I never saw topology as my strength. It was always something that I um, was in awe of, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but also found extremely challenging or less intuitive to me. Um, but for that, you know, so, so I had looked at the proofs a long time ago. I haven't looked at them deeply recently. Um, there are a number of different approaches, but, um, but yeah, I, I feel the same that um, even, you know, the, the statement sounds simple and it's not. And um, to my understanding that the proofs are also non-trivial. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was sort of being glib earlier and saying it's just a special case of Alexander duality. Like that's easy to prove. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you know, I was, I, I was teaching topology this, uh, this semester and, you know, I was teaching, I, I was proving Poincaré duality, which, you know, is a similar sort of thing. And it's highly non-trivial. I mean, you break it into a bunch of steps and it sort of magically pops out of it. But and I think that's kind of the case here. It's like, 
you, you you break it into enough discrete steps where you don't where each thing seems okay, but uh, but in the end, it, there's a lot of heavy machinery, and uh, like even for procreduality, in the end, you use Zorn's lemma, right? I mean, there's there's some <laughs> kind of you know there's some kind of choice going on, and and I I think you know when when Jordan well, actually did Jordan even state this theorem or is this one of those things where where jordan gets the credit but it wasn't really actually i don't know that's a, I, oh, I, yeah. now i need to know that answer but i don't I know think the he did did he yeah okay. um i so uh not to toot my own horn but yeah. i'm gonna anyway the calendar that i published this oh, year right. the okay, page yeah. day calendar still available for purchase um <laughs> is the i think like camille jordan's mm-hmm. birthday is uh pretty early it's sometime in january so mm-hmm. I, i've actually even read this not too long ago. And I think um, he did publish it and did have a proof of it. And there's an interesting article, I believe by Thomas Hales about his, uh, about Jordan, Jordan, Jordan's mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. proof of the Jordan curve theorem. Um, I guess maybe to some extent, like defending from the claim some people have that, that he never had a rigorous proof of it. Mm-hmm. But I did read that for doing the calendar but it was over a year ago at this point and right don't quite remember but yeah it, you can find a reference to it on my calendar okay. i will also include that in the show sure. notes and also the same jordan of or jordan as jordan canonical form right i mean right really really pretty serious contributions there from one person that's, that's absolutely yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. all right i actually like this pairing a lot um yeah yeah um and and since you live in New Hampshire, it's perfect, right? You have to. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there actually, I have a number of New Hampshire references in my book that, um, because mm-hmm. I just fe- feel like, you know, I was I wanted to humanize math to the extent that I could while still tackling pretty, you know, substantial ideas. Sure. Um, yeah. So, um, but any time I had an invitation to bring in something from left field mm-hmm. that was actually meaningful to me yeah. I, I just went for it <laughs> yeah yeah I'm sure Evelyn too well you actually it sounds like you're up on all of the mathematicians birthdays at this point because of your calendar <laughs> <laughs> at least I, I know a few of them now yeah. more than yeah. I did two years ago right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so we always like to give our guests a chance to plug anything you've already plugged your book any any uh any other places we can find you online yeah well um lately i've been writing for quanta magazine which has been Mm. uh very exciting and in fact i have um you know a few math articles already out this year um and i have a very special one i can't tell you the topic i'm not supposed to (laughs) but coming out um april 15th and um i'm very excited about that article Mm. um that i believe is going to be on april 15th as assuming everything is fine with um you know the uh, you know, publication schedule mm-hmm. given the pandemic. Right. Um, but yeah, I have, um, so, and you can, you know, listeners can find links to my articles on my website, which mm-hmm. is just susandagostino.com. Yep. And, um, you know, you can find information about my books and my articles and what I'm up to there. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so Great. much for joining us, Susan. This was really, this was a, this was a good one. Great. Yeah, well, thank you chat. so much. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I love the show and, and I'm really, you know, it was my honor to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. 
You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpkinism.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.